All right, everybody, we are back and joined by super special guests. We got Marshall Bowen. Marshall was uh, a classmate in my accounting class and since then has gone on. He's graduated college in two years with a 4.0, runs Ironmans, and uh, has a wicked cool girlfriend with a shark tattoo. Marshall, thanks for coming on, man. Well, I got to start you off. Uh, 3.99 GPA. I messed up on business, Kelly. Oh, classic. You're, dude, you're a moron. How could you mess up on that? Oh, well, studied six hours instead of 10 for the last, <laughs> for, the, Holy for the final exam. And that didn't quite, quite pan out as well as I'd, I'd hoped. Um, but, you know, I think there's a there's principle to say about that. That definitely has taught me. I've learned a lot on making those small mistakes, which really quite turn out to be something is every is in college. I learned probably the only thing that was really powerful that I learned from econ is that all decisions are made on the margin. So I took that lesson that all decisions are made on the margin. I realized everything we get in life is on a very fine razor's edge. And that razor's edge determines if you put in just a little bit more effort and a little bit, I mean, is, is a very hard quantity to say. It depends on the amount of time, but in a lifetime, spending an extra four or five hours studying to get a 3.9 versus a 4.0 GPA to be a top 20 student graduating rather than a top eight student graduating. There's a difference there. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though it's a very small in it, it could four hours or five hours is a lot of time, but even though it's a very, and it, but in the wide scope of things, it's very small. So my principle with, with all things is everything's done on the margin. And what I mean by that specifically is that every time you get a chance to do something right or put a little extra effort in, or when you get a chance to, to do a business with someone, because I am a business guy, you show up you outshow up the other people, you outwork the other people, you provide them with greater service than they've ever expected. If someone expects you to charge them X, you better give them that value of what they're paying for and charge them a little bit less because at the end of the day, you want to leave a good taste in people's mouths through working harder and through being fair. And everything being done on the margin, if you go through that principle in life, it means that there is not a room for error. There's not a room for laziness. There is, I'm going to push and I'm going to get this thing done. I've lost races because I didn't push the last bit as hard as I should have. I've lost a lot. I've lost grades. I've lost uh, money. I've lost pretty much anything at a time. And that's always been the lesson is if you push that little bit harder, you get everything. If you fail to push that little bit, you really end up with very little. And sometimes you end up with a huge loss. So that'd be my lesson to start things off. And that's the difference of a 4.0 and a 3.99 GPA is make decisions on the margin, put that little extra in. Yeah, I think it's opportunity cost for you, correct? So it's, um, you know, I can I, I can manage everything, but I, uh, you know, what am I giving up by making this decision versus that? It absolutely is. And sometimes you got to realize that there are things you're going to have to give up and there are things that don't make sense. And there are decisions that you're going to have to make. And oftentimes there's things you want to do, but things you can't in order to get the results you want to get. So you might want to, like, for instance, in, there, in, in college, a lot of people want to go out and party. And I had a lot of group members that 
in some of my projects on my later on uh, what would have been my senior year, but for me was sophomore year, year wise, where they were showing up to projects hung over from night before <laughs> they weren't doing work because you know they are drunk the night of all good people. No, no fault of no fault morally in that respect, but there's something to be said about there's a huge difference in someone who does that behavior and then someone who's studying and the opportunity cost is, yeah, you might lose a little bit of time with friends, but you end up gaining a much better education because you're paying a lot for college. You end up gaining a much better sense of your self-worth. So you have this opportunity cost and people make the biggest single biggest mistake in this writer named Ayn Rand says this quote perfectly, there are not sacrifices, this is not her quote, but it's pretty much what she means. There are not sacrifices, there are trades. When you are giving up something that is worth less to get something that is worth more. And having fun is worth a lot. But ultimately, if you're paying 40, 50, $100,000 a year for a private school education, or even $10,000 a year for a more public education, or regardless of what your situation is between either of those points, or paying nothing at all for an education, but except your time, and your time itself is incredibly valuable, is you can't make these big trade-offs. You have to you have to ultimately say, I'm not sacrificing, I'm making a trade, I'm trading something that is less valuable for something that is far more valuable in the long run, even in the short term, if that means it's a little tough. Absolutely. And well, first of all, I think you're wise beyond your years. Clearly, I was going to save that for the end of the interview, but (laughs) just the way you're speaking, but it's it's really incredible. I feel like I'm talking to a a sage right now, or um, some sort of uh, some sort of wizard that has come down and blessed me. But uh, I we I know you're talking about no partying, but cheers. I have uh, my Bud Light Zero. I mean, my Budweiser, no alcohol. I'm off the alcohol a little bit, just a little bit of discipline. But that's a small drop in the bucket of the discipline that makes up Marshall. Uh, I want to talk about some of your acclimate. Yeah, Yeah, I got my ultra running water bottle here. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So let's get your ultra running water bottle for your freaking Ironman. So what is an Ironman for people who don't know? So an Ironman is perhaps one of those sports that's a little masochistic to say the least, but it's a 140.6 mile competition that's nonstop. You wake up at 4.30 in the morning, you're you're at the race at five or very close to it. Mm. You're in the water at six. So you're on the beachhead at six and you're swimming right around that time. You swim 2.4 miles in open water. So that's a lake or an ocean or a river. And then you- That's a lot swimming. Yeah, it is a lot of swimming. So- (sighs) A normal person, someone that's not trained, that's going to take probably two to three hours. So a trained athlete can do that in, you know, a really good athlete can do that in 50 minutes to an hour. Um, I'm not a great swimmer, but even doing a lot of training, you know, if you do an hour to an hour 30, you're doing good. And then the cutoff is two If you're not dead, I'd say you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, if you can swim 2.4 miles, that's a long swim. It's a (laughs) long, long anything, um, but it's a long swim. And you battle waves, you battle winds, you battle people kicking you and smacking you in the face with their hands and their feet. So you got potentially two, 3000 people in the water at the same time. It's just a crazy, just 
just chaos. Um, and you, you just, you're running into the water and then you might swim one or two loops in this course. And then as soon as you finish the 2.4 mile swim, you run up typically uphill to a transition area on, in your bare feet. And then you get on your, you put on your gear and stuff. You, you eat whatever you need to eat. You drink whatever you need to drink. What does that look like for you with your, uh, with your gear switch and your eating and your drinking? So you're most likely ripping off a wetsuit. So you got a full body wetsuit in most cases. I'm ripping off my wetsuit as fast as I can, putting on my helmet as fast as I can. I'm putting on my bike shoes. I'm putting on eating some, some high sugar, high carbohydrate, uh, getting some hydration, um, that kind of thing. So your body, you're making sure you get refueled. Right. What is a, what is the high, I'm sorry to interrupt. What is the high sugar and high carbohydrate look like? What specifically are you eating? A uh, goo is what I do for races, typically a Sweet. coconut water, but literally any high sugar will fuel your body at that point. Cause you're just burning sugar uh, and you protein bar is good too, but like literally I'm dirt maple syrup, honey. Like it's the stuff <laughs> we never eat under normal circumstances. But if you do an Ironman, you could in theory burn five, 10,000 calories that day. I'm almost, I'm a hundred when I do my races, I get, I get drink, take a ton of carbs and a ton of water. So I'm super hydrated, but I start the race at 195 pounds. I ended a race at 180 pounds after drinking over a liter of water, then weighing myself. Um, So you can lose like seriously 15 uh, after, you know, not counting that water, probably almost 20 pounds just during one race. So it's, it's, you can violate a lot of what would be considered healthy stuff because doing the whole thing is not a super healthy thing but you, then you do 112 miles on a bike. And if you're the best biker, you might be doing four to five hours. And if you're a good biker, you're going to be doing five to maybe six hours. And then you're cut off. I forget exactly what that is, but it's, it's up there. And then you have to run after that. Your legs are, are lead because you've done this whole bike thing. Like imagine sitting on a chair for on a, the most uncomfortable hard chair that's this big yeah it's the your bicycle, bicycle seats your ass would be my ass would be sore it would and hurt. you're holding you're holding this position in your shoulders and neck and back it just hurts and your your ass is just burning and just like <laughs> the worst pain I, I don't care what anyone says that's the worst part of the iron man it's just the just the ass part yeah it hurts your your lower back and and your your ass it's just terror and neck and shoulders just sucks um, so you do that for, in my case, if I'm doing a race five and a half hours, and then you jump off your bike, you put your bike into transition, you take off your helmet, your shoes and stuff, and then you're running a marathon. So you're running 26.2 miles. And if you're a fast runner, it'll be two to three hours. If you're a good runner, it'll be three, you know, three to four. And then anything after that, I, I got respect for anyone that finishes the race, but most, but, um, you got to make all those cutoffs and you have to finish the whole race before midnight. Um, so it is a tough, a tough thing to do. And honestly, I finished my race, um, in under 11 hours for my second and under 12, 12 hours for my first, because my first one was on a much harder course. Um, and I'm by no means a pro I'm an amateur athlete, but I trained a ton, but, you have, I have so much respect for, you know, the person that shows up that's 
not super chiseled, six pack abs, super in shape, training 20 hours a week. But the person that shows up maybe only training five to 10 hours a week because they got a full-time job. The person that doesn't have, I don't have a $20,000 bike, but there are people that do. And you'll see them on the course that have a 10 to $20,000 bike. that have the perfect everything. And you see those people and you're like, there's respect for that too. But you see the guy that's got an old beater bike that's not the best shape. That's definitely overweight. That's just doing is all just to finish the race. And then you see that the clock runs out while, oh. he's, while he's walking the marathon. And there's a lot of respect to that person. So when it hits 12, you'll hear in the entire town, you'll hear this clapping and for miles because all those people that didn't finish, people are that proud of them because the point of the race is not to finish, but it's not to give up. And obviously the objective is to finish any race, but being an Ironman is not about being the fastest guy out there. It's not about being the strongest, not about being the best, about being the guy that's going to do the best they can and not give up regardless of what it is. Now, if you're a pro and it's your whole career, obviously there's points where you need to stop to prevent injury or to be safe because you got something to do the next day. But for me, it was always, I was playing the song in my head, you know, Eminem, you know, um, till my bones collapse like that. That's going in my, that's absolutely like you go until there's nothing left. So on my second race, which I still did super well on, I got fourth place in my division, the 18 to 24 division. Um, I crashed my bike at mile 86. Um, and I crashed the bike going because there was a hill, a little bit of a hill. So it's not like a big hill, but it's a little bit of hill. And there's some, some tailwinds. So there's really bad headwinds, the whole going out, but there's really good tailwinds. So I was averaging over 20, probably 21, 22 miles per hour, just really solid on the bike leg. And I lost, I lost focus. I tried to put my water bottle in. I got a little bit of a, a wobble and I crashed my bike, bike flips three or four times. I flipped three or four times covered with bruises, scratches. I'm bleeding out of my leg, my arm, my, my shoulders all scratched up because that's oh. where I rolled on it you're rolling four or five times and i get up and i'm like i'm like is my race over because last time i checked you know 86 miles i got a bike that may or may not be broken i got a helmet my visor is totally blown off so i'm like okay i'm like first off am i broken so (laughs) I, i jump up and luckily there's people that checked on me. So the Ironman family of anyone that does it is really solid for the most part. It's a really incredible group of people, very hardworking, very disciplined, very kind people. But I jump up and I'm like, okay, I'm not broken. Sweet, sweet. I look, okay, I'm bleeding. I'm scratched up. I'm dirty because I rolled in all that dirt. I'm like, damn it. Um, I'm like, did that just cost me finishing my race? And then I look at my bike and I'm like, oh, this looks great. And then I try and ride my bike and I'm like, oh crap. Cause the hand, the wheels, obviously, if you look at a bike, the wheel should be like this. Should be straight. The handlebar, yeah. The handlebars on a road bike are different, but mountain bike or road bike should be like this. So wheel, it's like where my face is facing this way. Handlebars should be like this. My handlebars were like this. My wheel was like this. Oh, your wheel was a little bit slanted. Yeah. So my wheel was literally slanted. The whole thing was jacked up. So I had to, pedal the rest of the race with my handlebars like this <laughs> and my wheel was going like this because it was so so effed up the whole thing was cracked because i crashed hard totally my fault 
and my bike shoes just got jacked up. Um, but I was still passing people, but I made the decision. I said, regardless of what my bike does, and I had expensive shoes, so I would have destroyed $400 shoes, which I pretty much did. Uh, they're expensive shoes. And luckily I have the financial resources to afford the sport, but you don't need all those resources. You can just make do. Um, my first race, I had nowhere near the, the resources um, that I did in my second, but um, the, I did that and I was like, okay, if my bike breaks at any point, I will run or walk or do whatever I can as far as I can to the, to the, um, the finish line of this race. So I was like, okay, I got maybe eight to nine hours left. I'm at mile 86. So that's not possible for me to finish because I would have 96, 106, then there's 26 miles. I'd have to do a double marathon with a bike in hand um, to even finish the race in the time frame, which is just not possible. Yeah, that would be bananas. But what I but what I knew is even if my bike had broken or did break in that time, I made the commitment. I said, I will not stop until it hits 12 midnight. Even if I have no chance of finishing, even if I have no, because that ultimately is why I'm doing an Ironman, is the whole thing is for being the kind of guy that people know is not going to quit. Yeah. That's the whole thing I did with all my ultra athletics is, if you know, you know me, obviously from accounting and you saw that I'd show up to class after doing a half, you know, a half marathon or running a 10 to 15 miles yeah. and, and I'd, I'd show up to class early, but well, I wanted- not to toot my own horn, but I did show up the Monday after the Super Bowl after partying the whole night. So I think we're like, we're pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, you, got, you, you got me beat on that. I was, I was, uh, I was doing, I, doing a, I emailed, a shout out professor Baker, email professor Baker at, I think two 30 in the morning, I said, uh, tomorrow's going to be a bloodbath. And that's all I said. And, uh, I, I showed up the next day. So, you know, I, I mean, it's like, it's two, it's two sides of the same coin, ultra marathoner versus showing up after Super Bowl in Tampa. I gotta, I gotta say I can do, I could show up after doing an Ironman a lot easier than I could show up after partying. Um, <laughs> I am, de- I am dead serious. Like as far as ultra, sports go that is physically probably more difficult my body is broken but let me let me (laughs) ask you this jokes aside um how did the bike crash was it a president biden scenario can president biden ride his bike better than you uh well i've i think riding i'll say this riding a mountain bike is pretty chill I'm not a great rider. So I'm, I'm putting a hundred percent of that on me. There was no equipment error. I had a $5,000 bike. I had six, $7,000 worth of total equipment. It was not an equipment error. It was a total F up on my part. What happened? I had a water bottle, not like one of these. I'll grab one real quick. Oh, you're good. I can picture it. These little plastic water bottles here that they hand you during the race. Oh yeah. Right. Right. And it was kind of, it was kind of like drinking out. So it was like this. It was all flimsy. It was like doing this. So I tried to stick it in my, cause you have these little bike water bottle. Cases. Of course. Yeah. You I have a little water holder. And I only had one hand on the handlebar and I tried to stick it in and I got distracted because I couldn't get the hole. And I looked down and I dropped that hand and then the bike started wobbling. Oh, okay. You can't, at 20 plus miles an hour, you can't correct that. So 
that that was on me um the crash was yeah that's gnarly gnarly thing to do um the first race i saw my life i was doing it in cord lane and the race was 101 degrees oh uh, like the hottest iron man's on record and you're doing this in this mountain pass and Corley is probably one of the hardest Ironmans. Uh, swim was good, but the, the biking and running is, is tough. Um, one of my, my slowest, slowest marathons to date, but still, uh, I did solid, but, um, I was going down a hill and they're giving people Gatorade cause you know, the electrolytes and the sugars keep people hydrated in a hundred degree weather. Right. And I'm going down a hill 40 miles an hour. Cause it's, it's steep. Like this core lane is like all mountain passes. So like crazy steep mountains and you're at elevation and this person loses a Gatorade bottle. And it's lying like this, this road. And I see it. And by the time I see it, I'm 10 feet from, I go 40 miles an hour. You cannot steer. If you steer that 40, you're, you're dead. Like you're yeah. done. You're tumbling. You're going flying. Your bike is shattered into a bazillion pieces because they're all carbon fiber frames. So I hit the thing. And I grab my bike as hard as I can between my legs and between my arms, and <laughs> every muscle in my body. And I'm praying to God that I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm dead. I'm like, I'm dead. This is it. And I hit that bottle and like, somehow I just jumped over the thing. Oh, like that's. <laughs> and I thought, I thought I was, I thought that was the end. Like I was, I was convinced like that was it. I was I like literally was convinced and my adrenaline for us. Like, yeah. And, and ultimately the biking because i'm not a great biker that's what got me out of the sport so i've admittedly sold my bike my bike gear and now i'm kind of and right now i'm kind of in transition uh to take over my my family's business i'm still doing a lot of long runs i'm not training the 20 hours a week right now i'm probably doing 10 12 hours a week of training kind of um and then kind of trying to transition i do want to do a 100 mile race in the near future for running um, but I, I realized, like I said, Hey, this biking's not for me. I'm a good biker, like in terms of power, in terms of speed, but not in terms of bike handling. Uh, and I got too many responsibilities. I got too much to accomplish to risk a potentially fatal, you know, crash. Like, cause even if I'm a perfect biker, there's professional cyclists all the time that get killed by uh, motorcyclists that get killed by people in cars that are distracted texting. So I think that's also one of those things. Sometimes you realize you, um, you know, I think every, every person realizes when they have kids, you knew you, you knew when you to hang them up. You knew yeah, when to hang your kids up. You can't, I don't have kids, but you can't do the party lifestyle anymore. Or <laughs> when you have a job, you can't do as much partying as you did in, in college or when you have certain responsibilities and, you know, there's a time for fun. And then there's a time when you kind of realize like, crap, like I, can't do that anymore, even though that's pretty darn cool. And right. it is amazing to ride a bike that fast and that it just feels a motorcycle's cool, but go on your own power at that kind of speed with little control. And like, it's insane. Like you get like, it is cool. And you got wind blowing your face and you feel like you're going way faster than you are. And it's amazing. Uh, but you know, it's just like one of those things you, you realize there's a time and place. And then you realize that there's no longer a you know, maybe that's not well suited for you, but right. And so your bike got jacked up. This was your second Ironman. And, uh, did you, end, you, you ended up finishing with the, the wobbly bike and I finished and was still passing a few people. I got passed by a few people, but I caught back up to them and I passed them. So I had the bent seat, bent handlebars, bent <laughs> wheel, bent, 
body, <laughs> but I still was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to crush this as best I can. Obviously I had to be very smart and very careful because like you have handlebars that are, sorry, this angle. So you can't like do any crazy turns. You have to be very like slow. So any turn stuff I had to go slow on, but like I said, I still finished fourth in, um, in age group for that race. So that was like a very solid because in that core lane race, you know, when I talk about on the margin, four minutes and I would have gotten, uh, sorry, I finished third in the, the, uh, Ironman Panama city in Florida in core lane. I finished, uh, sixth. And if I would have gone four minutes faster in the marathon, I would have finished, you know, um, I would have finished fourth or I would have finished fifth instead of sixth, And then I would have gotten an age group award. So that really drove me for the next one is I'm like, I have the capacity to do that. I am going to give my all on this next one. And I ran my PR marathon. I did my, you know, PR uh, bike and I, my swim was terrible because the ocean conditions were so bad. Um, but I, I just really, I, that was what drove me is I said, I'm not going to have the same issue where I'm, so my parents tracked that in the first race, I didn't know where my competitors were this race. I was like, okay, we're going to be all over everything, single thing we're going to figure out. I had my parents tracking my competitors, which you can do, which is really cool in the Ironman races. They, so they yelled at me, okay, your guy's 10 minutes ahead. Your guy's five minutes ahead. He's a mile ahead. He's two miles ahead. And I just like had in my head, like, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to cut these people down. I'm going to get in front of them. And that's, what's crazy in Ironman. You don't know who you're competing against. There's 2000 people. It's not like a race where, you know, it's a one way out and whoever's in front of you is, in front of you, it's okay. There might be four or five loops. Um, you don't know if the guy behind you started the swim after you. So really he started the swim, you know, really he's ahead of you because he started the swim five minutes before, or sorry, five minutes after you, and you're only two minutes ahead of him. So he's really actually ahead of you. So you have to like, it's really, it's like the ultimate amount of pressure. If you're trying to do that competitively is you're like, got this in your head. You're like, I don't know who I'm competing against. So I have to push harder. I don't know once those time results come out, because it's not like a track race. It's not like, here's my competitor. Yeah. I'm in front of him. It's, I might be in front of the guy, but <laughs> I don't know really where he's at. Um, so it's, it's really cool. The, but it, the it's just chaos. And it all comes down to you is what it sounds like. You are the, uh, the captain of your own ship and like Absolutely. you can't get caught up in the, uh, the other people because it's all different start times and different this and different that. It's, it's a mental, it, all the ultra endurance and every heavy training or everything I've, I've realized it all comes down to a mind game mm. and it's, Maybe you're not the most blessed physically. I got terrible body proportions for a swimmer, pretty good for a runner, but I'm way too heavy. Um, and <laughs> I'm way too heavy to be a good ultra. Same, at same. Yeah, at 6 to 180 to 195 pounds, like just not going to work. I mean, that's lean and mean, Marshall. Yeah, it's lean and mean, but it's just not going to like, I'm up against, like I took pictures with the pros they're 510 to yeah that's the bill that's the bill like they're like 150 pounds and way stronger than i am so like genetically i'm not there but what i am there is i'm going to say mentally i'm going to put in as much as i can i'm going to get everything out of it that i can so my training schedule when i was doing that in college while taking 27 credit hours of classes while doing some part-time work is i'd wake up at 5 a.m almost every single day and I'd go, I'd go to the gym. I'd 
I bike, so I bike on, on Mondays. I do a hard, hard bike workout or as good a bike workout as I could on my trainer stationary to avoid the crazy Florida drivers, the crazy Florida men. They're bananas. <laughs> They're, yeah, the yeah. drivers are wild. <laughs> it is not, not safe. So I'd go in my, on my trainer at uh, right before 6 a.m. I train for about an hour. I'd go to the weight room. I'd hit legs heavy, so heavy squats, heavy lifting. Then I'd go go um, go to class, all day classes. And the next day I'd do like a long run. So like a half marathon, like so 10 to 15 mile run. And then the next day I'd do heavy, you know, bike sprints and then I'd do upper body lifting. So, you know, that's a straight like three hour workout. Every single one of these nights I'm doing 20 to 30 minutes of stretching too. And I'm doing a little bit of abs. And then the next day, um, I might do swimming. So I might do swim three miles, two to three miles of swimming. And then the next day, right after that, um, I might take one rest day. I might not, but right after that, I'm going sooner. One, at some point in the, the week, I'm taking one to two rest days and then I'm going to run or sorry, I'm going to bike 112 miles. So bike 112 miles. Cause that comes first chronologically. So I might bike 112 miles on Friday or Saturday. And then after that, which is like six hour workout, just imagine doing a six hour workout. Then the next day after being sore, after doing all that, then you run a, then you run a marathon. So you run 26 miles. That was not saying every person who does an Ironman trains that way. This could be probably considered really excessive, but then after that, then I'm restarting with Monday bike ride and leg workout. Right or rest like one of those days, but you know, that leg workouts come in pretty soon after. So you get to the point, you no longer get sore. You get to the point where pain is no longer as crazy. Cause you know, you, what you can take. And once you get to that point, and I think that's the ultimate lesson that I'd say every person do a, do a, do a marathon, not an Ironman. Ironman's too expensive. It's too intense. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but do a marathon, see what you are made of, see what you can do. And see really where your demons are. Because if you can run a marathon, it means you can battle your own demons in your head. If you can't, everyone can do it physically. Almost everyone. There are obviously some people that can't, but there are quite almost everyone can do it physically. If you had a gun to your head, you could figure it out. Someone put a gun to your head, say you finish, you survive, you will figure it out. But it's about battling those demons. So when you say, when something inside you says quit, you got to find something else inside you that says I'm not going to stop. And that's, that's really the ultimate lesson. The life lesson, this sport is a metaphor for life. And if you can conquer your mind, if you can conquer your body, then you can accomplish whatever the hell you want to do in life. I, I feel like I'm talking to, uh, to Gary V right now. I'm, I'm blown away. <laughs> it's you, like I said, wise beyond your ears. What, uh, how do you battle those demons in your head? And then after that, I want to know what got you into this stuff. So, um, that's a really good question. Uh, really good question, Jack. Thank you. And I think it's for every single person. I don't think there's one straight answer and I'm going to give you mine and I'm not going to say for everyone, it's the same because for everyone it's different. Every person I've talked to, it's different. If you look at the best African marathon runners, like uh, Elod Kupchebe, if I'm saying his name correctly, or if I'm not, I apologize. But that guy did the sub two hour marathon with Nike awesome, amazing athlete. If you look at him and a lot of people that run really long distances, they have this lightness of spirit. They have this 
happiness, this joy in their heart that you can see when he talks to people, you can see how happy of a person he is. And that really, I think it is, is one powerful tool is if you can, instead of having pain and fear and confusion, when you're in that kind of stress, if you can say, I have enough joy, so that when this pain is coming in, this joy can keep me above the waterline, regardless of these waves crashing, regardless of this pain that I'm feeling, if I can still feel joy, I think that's probably the healthiest and best way to do it. And you have someone on the opposite end of the spectrum, like David Goggins, who's obviously incredibly effective too, nowhere near the genetic athlete that the other guy is, but he has this mindset where it's his pain. It's all his demons that drive him because he knows that soon if he, he's got to outrun his demons, he's got to face them. Otherwise they're going to overtake him. He's got to stay 10 feet ahead of them or he's done. So you have fear and pain can be a great motivator. You have happiness and joy that can be a great motivator. You have distraction, which can be a good motivator. If you can put your mind in a different spot, like totally switch it off and put it in a different spot. So you have all these different strategies. And I like to say I've implemented all of them at different points and to different extents. Um, I really wish I was better about finding the happiness and joy. And I can do that quite a bit. But when I'm in those pain points, I really focus on using pain to drive me. Mm. When I'm in those long, easy points where I don't need to push ultra, ultra hard, then I try and let that happiness because it's just easier on you. Like if I'm doing training, I'm trying to focus on the happiness, but the same extent, like a week ago, it was hailing, snowing, sleeting with 20 mile an hour Arctic winds on me in Montana, not very fun. Then you're going to the, I can't be stopped. I won't be stopped. You're, that's your focus. It's not, oh, what a beautiful day. Now, on the, <laughs> nice, the nice day when it's crystal when it's crystal clear, the lake's flat as glass and I'm running beside it and I'm like, you know, you lift your arms up. You're yeah, like, you're like Forrest, oh, you're like Forrest oh, Gump. You're like yeah, Forrest you're Gump like, in that scene. Man, that's a one amazing blessing to be to be here. But you have I think the the key is having those tools like music, audiobooks are a great one. Like I've listened, I listen to audiobooks and podcasts while running to get educated, but also to get my mind in a different spot. So instead of focusing on the 40,000 steps I need to take, it's on me or 20,000 or 30,000. It's on me figuring out, okay. Well, that's an, it's just listening to people talk yeah. getting my mind in that or getting my mind in a really good educational story or educational something or another rather, or in, in music and feeling that in those really hard times when you don't have the capacity, like if you're doing all out sprints, you're not listening to an audiobook because your brain can't comprehend it, but it can comprehend some thunderstruck. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. All about, it's all about using those tools. Um, at their proper times and they all have a time they all have a place um and i think that that that's how i do it so these are all tools in your toolbox up in your dome where you're like hey like you know this really sucks right now but i'm gonna use i'm gonna embrace the suck and then when i get home later it's gonna be awesome or you're like wow i'm blessed right now i'm running next to this beautiful lake in montana um, and then there's that gray middle ground um, that you use. What got you into all this stuff? Because it's really fascinating. You're a young man like myself, and uh, you just you, you're so on top of everything. It's it's really uh, admirable. So I got into. There's always probably a little part of me that had the propensity. So naturally, I come from family that's you know had a few people that over the years, great grandparents, and few, and then 
you know, some, some people have dealt with challenges with, you know, substances. So that, that addictive personality is there, which helps really. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely a little bit, nothing crazy, like nothing in immediate, my immediate family, but like, that's there, like that was there. And everyone kind of knew that that was a danger for them. So they're super cautious of it, but like that propensity is there, that addictive personality, that obsessive personality is there. Um, so I realized like, okay, I can't, I shouldn't drink and I shouldn't do a lot of these behaviors because I know if I do them, then you're going to love I, them. You're going to like them a lot. Well, not, maybe not like, but it, and maybe I would like, but if I get obsessed, I'm screwed. Yeah. Right. Okay. You're okay. So, which is great. So like in business or in schoolwork, you want to be obsessive because that's going to drive you to succeed. But in substances, it's going to drive you to self-destruction. Uh, so I knew to avoid that, but that, uh, that, that natural propensity in that respect was good. My parents always pushed me to do a lot of sports because my dad and, and mom and family, they're always super proud of athletic accomplishments. So that was a big one. Um, so there's definitely some nurture there, definitely some nature there. What, uh, and, what sports and do you have siblings? I do. I do have a sister. Uh, um, but she, she's very different. She's kind of my opposite in a lot of ways. Uh, she didn't quite have the, the drive that I did to, to do what I have, have done, but, um, she's definitely, she, she's had her challenges too, and, and she's doing the best she can and she's, she's getting a lot better, but, um, I did basketball. I, I did pretty much everything. I didn't do anything really good except track. So track was my best, my best sport. And I absolutely crushed that in middle school. And I was doing 55, nine qu a quarter mile for an eighth grader, which anyone who does track is, is pretty darn fast. It's not, not junior Olympics fast, but I was going to do the junior Olympics. And I did that without a staggered start. Um, so I did, did really solid on that race. Um, and I was going to do junior Olympics. So I was going to do track. I was going to see how far I could go. I was thinking I was going to be a top high school runner, solid collegiate runner, maybe, yeah. D2, maybe D2, probably not D1, but D2, D3, solid collegiate uh, track runner. I love track of the quarter mile of the 800, love the four by four. I just loved running and I was running sub five miles as an eighth grader. And I had this crazy autoimmune disease. So I went from 175 pounds as an eighth grader, six, two, I was just super overdeveloped. My dad's six, seven. Um, I was just Your dad's six, seven. Yeah. My dad's six, seven. So I always, like, I was always ahead, like literally ahead above my peers. Like, I mean that obviously jokingly, but also it's like true, like literally a whole head, Yeah, a whole head. You're taller. <laughs> um, and, and that, that obviously helped a lot, but, um, that autoimmune disease took me from running a sub five mile to barely being able to walk uphill, like barely being able to function, barely being able to do anything. And I lost so like, I lost 40 pounds, like within a matter of months, I just got so weak. And like my eyesight, I got 2010 eyesight, but my eyesight went, started to become blurry. My, like I was struggling with schoolwork. So everything just became super bleak, super depressing. Cause I, I thought I was going to die. So crazy autoimmune disease. I can't eat any food because my body's rejecting all of it. Um, I can't like just everything's going wrong. So I go from the super good athlete to this guy that's barely able to physically function. And what that did to my mind is obviously you go to all those demons come out. You're like, okay, you're not worthy. Your, your life's over. All those ambitions that you had as a kid are done because you can't even function, let alone work, let alone do anything. Uh, at this point in time. So I was like, okay, this is it. Um, and I did get to a very dark place during that time, but um, 
coming out of that. And then luckily I, I had a family that had a lot of resources, was very supportive and it took a long time. It took years to fully recover. How'd you battle out of that day by day? Um, a lot of it was, was really crazy, crazy, ultra stringent diet regime. So I had to do all these allergy tests and my family luckily had the resources to spend a lot of money on that, but I was eating just like bizarre foods. So like literally anything that my body didn't register as an allergy. So I had like on a, on an allergy test, like a two would be in like a, a 0.5 is like considered, eh, probably shouldn't eat that. A two is like a clear allergy. I had items up to 36. Oh, shit. So like, just you do the math on that, like just really bad. Uh, it's like 16 times what's considered an allergy. So there's all these foods that I couldn't eat because my body's reacting. So I got mono, which is what caused that. And mono right. can cause immune response. I don't know. I, how I had mono, by the <laughs> way, just personal relation. Uh, worst experience of my life. I was out of school for a week, then half days, another week. It was during crunch time, junior year of high school. You know how it is. Um, yeah. and I missed so much school, so much work. Um, and then I had my wisdom teeth out right after that. And I couldn't eat for probably three or four weeks. It was, it was the, that was the worst time of my life. That's just that, that's just a whole storm of shit. But the crazy thing, I never developed symptoms. So my body just had that immune response. So most people, when they get mono, they might not be able to digest milk for a little while because that's what it does. It, it will F up your immune system and some other viruses will do that too. Um, so that's just what happened. But for me, I never got symptoms, but it messed up my whole immune system. So my body started attacking my joints. Like I got arthritic symptoms like that a 70 or 80 year old person would have. So everything hurt. Um, everything was tough. I was literally eating like crazy food. So like just vegetables and meat, I couldn't eat any grains. I couldn't eat any legumes because my body was so allergic to those things based on the allergy tests. And it took years and very stringent diet. And what really made the difference is I started reading like the self-development books because, you know, there's a lot was physical, of course, but getting out of that's a mental game. So I realized I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which is this uh, Jewish psychiatrist. Good. Who I'm reading that right now. It's on my nightstand. I swear to God, no okay. bullshit. I'm, it's on my nightstand. It is. And I, I tell all the viewers this, read that book. It will change your life. And it definitely, I've given free copies of that book to so many people. Um, and I'm glad you're glad you're reading that Jack. Cause that is an amazing one. I want to discuss that with you at some point. Um, but that book covers this Jewish psychiatrist and he goes through six Nazi death camps and he's given asylum in the United States if he wanted it, but his, his wife and his parents could not have come and his wife's pregnant with a baby. So he stands and he doesn't leave his parents while he watches his whole family die in the gas chambers, his wife, his soon to be born baby and his, his aging parents, they all die. Like, almost right in front of him. And he sees the smoke come out of the tower and he, re he realized it. And it's the whole book is focused from us, a genius, a prodigy. He's worked with Freud, one of the most intelligent psychiatrists probably in, in history and uh, psychotherapist as he looks and he says, what is the difference between someone who is able to find joy and meaning and happiness and survive this hell on earth 
that the Nazis created to someone that commits suicide or their mind collapses and their body dies as a result. And what's the difference between those two people? Is it that one was physically stronger than the other? No, you saw plenty of people that were physically stronger die. Is it that one is, you know, super optimistic? No, he saw plenty of those people die. Is it that one is super pessimistic? No, he saw some of those survive. But what he realized was that the overall thing is what meaning can you give something? So if you can give something meaning and you can say, this goes back to like doing the race. If you can say, hey, I want to be the kind of person that one day my kids know that I'm going to, and my wife knows and my family knows that I'll do come hell or high water, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll go whatever distance to make sure that they're taken care of, to make sure that their, their needs are met and exceeded. And that's my meaning. Like that's, that's going to be a powerful thing. So reading that book, I realized, Hey, I got a lot of meaning. There's a lot to, to go for. There's a lot that I can still do. And that was, and then that, and then self-development podcasts, and then seeing like what the Ed Milet show, uh, he said something that, that's really stuck out with me. It's like, life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. And uh, Tony Robbins played a big role. I've been to a few of his events and all those things, but they all compound. They all add up to a really great sum total. And that is creating someone that realizes, like I used to get stressed super easily. I used to have a lot of anxiety. I used to admittedly take some, some pills that were for ADHD, but also kind of some mild, like they also kind of function as mild depressant medications. Um, and that stuff, I was able to get rid of all that stuff, get rid of all the anxiety. And it was all because you read those books and you realize that, you know, you can choose ultimately how you perceive things. So like today it was raining. I got totally soaked in cold rain running and I'm still smiling because it's, Hey, I'm able to run. I wasn't able to run a few years ago. Um, it's saying, Hey, I got this beautiful place to be. I got the ability to run. Like there's so much to be grateful for. Um, and it's, it's seeing that life through a, a different, different lens and a much, much better, healthier lens. Even if, even if things are tough, just being in America is, is quite a blessing regardless of what your, your background is. <laughs> Best country in the world. And wow. I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely. Agree. <laughs> Very powerful stuff there. And uh, I, I really appreciate the perspective. I've, uh, I've definitely been in the, the trenches a couple of times and uh, I'm slowly working my way out, um, you know, from having like a, my tail tucked to, uh, you know, being able to wag it again. Um, so your insight is greatly appreciated. But, um, but what got you is, is that that oh, need to right. leave so live so extremely? I didn't answer your question. I'll, I'll say the, the exact thing. Um, that... I'd say that helped the exact person who got me into it. And I should have started with that. I'm sorry. I got totally off topic there. Oh no, this is, that's, I, this is how it goes. You got to you gotta keep a, the flow going. I had an amazing high school Spanish teacher who I did an Ironman with ultimately my second Ironman and his name's Jesus Santos. He works at uh, Salinas uh, high school in California. And one of the most incredible people that I've ever met, just someone who was born and really tough poverty in, in, in Mexico, came to the United States, barely speaking English, worked as a day laborer in a lot of farms, hardworking guy, got educated, was a very competitive athlete, just a guy that just had so much enthusiasm and passion and drive and happiness and joy and was so encouraging of others and never said something bad about other people. The kind of guy that you'd want 
you'd want as a teacher, the kind of guy you'd want as a friend and the kind of guy you'd want your kids to be around because you knew that, you know, would be a good influence on them, that kind of guy. So yeah, I, great guy. Of, but volumes are good stuff about him. And uh, he, he took me, I wasn't doing super great in track because of injuries, I was pushing too hard with the speed. I can't, I'm not meant for sprinting. I kept pulling muscles. I'm better for longer distances where you don't have to push those really hard, fast stuff. And he took me on a long run. I'm like, I really like this. This is really amazing. Like this is way more cool than sprinting because I can see all the scenery. I can take this all in. I can go a little slower. I can breathe. I can think, I can feel. And we did longer and longer runs in the California Fort Ord area and hills and Salinas Hills and Carmel Valley Hills and running all these things. And you realize, and it just, it transformed me. It just excited me. And then I said, okay, well, if I'm able to run, you know, 20 miles now, if I'm able, which we did, um, then, Hey, maybe there's something crazier than 20 miles. Oh yeah. There's marathons. Okay. Do a marathon. Not too hard. Check off the list. Cool. Marathon done. Well, what's harder than a marathon? Oh, well, an Ironman has a marathon built into it. So let's try yeah. to do that. I would say that's harder than a marathon. I'm not a, <laughs> I am a business major and I can not really count really well, but I would say that an Ironman is harder than a marathon. Yeah, you know, extra, you know, almost an extra 100, 113, 114 miles. You know, it, it, it's, it is a little bit, a little bit tougher, um, extra 10 hours. Yeah. So do you feel like, so first of all, great guy, Spanish teacher, he is the one that got you into it, into it, but do yes. you feel like that need, cause you were really in those trenches, very deeply entrenched that, and that need to live, you were kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum with, you know, it was just like extremely bad. So now do you, do you think you kind of had to balance it out with the way you push yourself? You're like, wow, I was really bad but now I can push myself and be, I can be like a, a stallion. I can be on the other end. I can be extremely good. Um, there was definitely a lot of me was like, I lost all this. So I lost my whole track thing. I lost all the sports things. And I, I just wanted to prove myself in some way. I wanted to see, I wanted to prove to myself that I was better than I was before. I wanted to prove to myself that I had still had an upward trajectory. I wanted to prove that to myself. So absolutely the answer to that is yes. And you know, I thought for a long time, I thought there was not going to be a way to prove myself. And I now there obviously there was. Um, and like I said, it took years to recover. So I got sick freshman year. I didn't really recover till junior senior year. Um, that's the honest truth. Like I was not physically the same person until junior senior year. And then after that, I've gotten stronger. And now because I'm not doing as much training, I, I'm, I'm weaker again. Uh, that's just what you do. If you train that much, if you're training 25 hours a week, and then you train for 10 or 12, like you're still going to be good, but you're not going to be like, that's a huge yeah, You're not going to be level of training to like good level of training, like healthy level of training. So now I'm more focused on the health and then business and making some money. And, and now eventually I am going to do a hundred mile race, just planning that out right now. Um, but what are you yeah, doing for business right now, dude? I have, since I was, I was eight years old. Um, my grandma, my grandfather, and uh, grandmother have been very close with me and uh, been, um, been lived a lot with them and done a lot of work with them. And my grandfather owns a lot of industrial properties. So I help him manage his industrial portfolio. If you want to pull it up online, Pro Western Development Company, it's a website. Um, you see our, some of the properties we built, developed everything. And I help him run his, his business there. I also, I always got side hustles going. So 
I've saved up a lot of money. I do my, I do passive invest, uh, investing in uh, options contracts. So I sell, I sell puts and calls, which I definitely encourage everyone to, to research. Um, and that's the way I get, I get some extra money. And then I just do any kind of side hustle I can. So every time an opportunity to make money presents itself, I do a lot of reselling. So I'm helping, I started a moving business now. So I help people, people move just went on my weekends. So first week back or first month back from college, I net it. I, um, I made total like gross over 20 grand, like first, first shit. Back. this, this month, my investments lost a lot of value total. So my net worth obviously went down, um, because the stock market's been crashing and I'm in very volatile investments in the long term, it'll be okay. But short term, that's kind of tough. But, uh, ne- this, this next month I'll be probably poised to do about 15. So, um, Sweet. So- May 20, this one 15. I got really lucky in, in May that that moving, I did one moving job that just absolutely turned out to be fantastic. I just got a ton of free stuff, uh, free stuff because the person was moving and I was just treating them super well. And they're very generous to me. Um, but I'm really trying to hit that 15 to $20,000 number for the next couple of years. I'm putting away as much money as I can. So I might be making that much money and like I'm netting almost all of that because that's like my... So like, if I'm making that, I'm netting almost all of that. Um, just cause a lot of that, that covers my tax bill too. So maybe after that, I'm netting 15, 13 to 15, um, of that, but I'm putting almost all that away. So I spent only a couple grand. Um, and it was more just to say thank you to my family. So I took everyone on a fishing trip, um, oh, sweet. For everyone's lodging and like that sort of thing. So just a big thank you. And obviously I'm paying for my own, so a lot of my own expenses, but I'm still staying at home. I'm not driving any, I have a pretty big net worth, but I'm driving a Toyota Corolla, which is a great car, but it's not, I'm not driving anything flashy. I wear, no. I'm wearing holster t-shirts and <laughs> no regular jeans. Like I'm, I'm a pretty like normal guy in all those respects. I got my sports watch on, but I'm not wearing a Rolex. Like, so there's all those things I'm living frug- frugally and spending that time and money on my investments and my long-term trajectory. Cause one day I want to have all those things, the cool car, the awesome house, yeah. um, all those things I want to have them and I will have them. But right now I know it's, it's putting away those, the money, putting away the everything else, putting in the effort to be able to have a lot in the long term. But even if that means a little bit less right now. Yeah, you're thrifty. Um, how are you netting $20,000 for moving? I feel like just moving because I have friends that are in the moving company, um, you know, college hunks moving junk and they they make like, I don't know, 20 bucks an hour and that's just beer money. How are yeah. you making so much? So I realized there's a lot better way of doing it. Um, so I'll, I contracted the job, um, but I did not make 20 grand moving. That's full disclosure. That was not. Oh, not, okay. Not that was hustle. with the side. That was the side hustle. My so fault. I made, so that's a side hustle, uh, which I made, I made probably five grand doing that. Cause I was a one guy doing an entire job for an entire week. Like you all moved out, out, moved out his whole through. house, moved out one, one, a widow's house. She was had some health issues, but I helped her with everything. Okay. That that's worth it. Her, like probably 10,000 square feet of buildings, like super dirty. Uh, just had never been cleaned. I cleaned her entire house after everything. So like I serviced her to the max and I got a ton of free stuff. So it was the payment uh, and then the, um, all the, the stuff I resold, but. Oh, where did you flip it? Facebook market? Yeah, exactly. So anyone who's doing it needs to make some extra money. Facebook marketplace. 
a uh, great, great tool to use, especially if you can get any free stuff or stuff at low cost, a uh, really awesome tool. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing that. I've been doing that since high school, really. And that's uh, what's allowed me to put away all my, all my money. Um, and I put away a lot uh, doing that. And then I made, um, if it's kind of hard to count, so maybe don't count it, but five grand with my investments, five to, yeah, about five to six grand with my investments, stock markets tanked. So like total value has gone down, but like that was cash flow. Uh, and I'll still be able to repeat pretty much the same the next month is up four to five grand. Uh, but like five grand investments, you know, five grand moving. And then I made a little extra because I want some business competitions. And then I made my, my salary for, Oh yeah. That's I got what a, I was, you I got see... $7,500 a month salary and all the taxes that's after taxes. So that's, that's beyond probably what I'm worth, but um, I, I do that. I'm, I'm doing my best to earn that. Absolutely. So what are you specifically doing to earn that salary? That's just anything needed for to help my grandfather manage his properties. And eventually uh, I'll be taking over those properties. And what um, does that look like day to day helping manage those properties? Really pretty much anything. So you could have on one day you could be dealing with, or like right now we're just, I'm taking his whole business, taking it online, which is huge. Um, so it's all paper and we're taking it all online. So he is not a tech guy and I'm not a tech guy either, <laughs> but I'm good enough at tech. So we're getting all his documents organized. We're getting everything scanned. We're getting everything taken care of. We're getting all his banking electronic. So these are big accounts and like a property management company, if they were to take them over, would be paid more than my salary. So eventually in the long term, it's going to make sense. Like I'm yeah, that's paid. a shit ton of work. To yeah, put I'm it. going to be paid less than like what the, um, but I'm a partner in the business too. So that's, that's where I win. It's like, I might be paid less, but I also own a lot of equity uh, in the long term, not immediately, but um, yeah. I mean, it's the family, you're keeping it in the family and you're doing yeah. a shit ton of work that you're going to take over. Sure, I want to make sure that like, I know a lot of, if you're in UT or you might be a, a member of like third generation wealth, you might not, but if you are, don't be the person that blows it. Don't be the, the, um, <laughs> you know, shirt leave, shirt sleeve, uh, Short sleeves to short sleeves in three generations or the, you know, short sleeves to short sleeves. Yeah. What's the, what's the expression, but um, I have no clue what the expression is. Yeah. So, so basically pretty much every culture the Japanese, the Americans uh, are rags to riches in three generations. Yes. So you go, from, you go from rags to riches to rags in three generations. So first uh, generation makes the money, second sustains it, third blows it all out, out of the, you know, pisses it all away. So I'm trying my best not to be that that third generation by being intelligent with with my decisions. Absolutely. So you would you if you was a big business decision, would you consider yourself someone that would play the decision safe and analytically, or would you if you really wanted something, would you you know maybe uh, put more more some more chips on the table and take a little bit of a gamble? I've done both. Um, I. Typically, I'm someone I've realized that a lot of times people don't know perhaps what is safe. So I am willing to put take a lot more risk than most people. But I always I typically know what risk I am taking. And I have made mistakes with that. So I'm not by no means flawless, but I am for the most part. I try to be very analytical um, and I try to take strategic risks and I try and focus long term. I will never 
If I buy an investment, it's got to cash flow. It's got to make sense. I will not buy the next hot tech stock. I will not buy Tesla. I will not buy Bitcoin. I will not buy any. No Dogecoin, bro? No Dogecoin. <laughs> no, yeah. Bro. Um, I will, I might have, I will. You're, you're, I'm not inviting you back on the podcast. <laughs> we all got to be on the same sinking ship right now with the crypto. The Do- Dogecoin to the bottom of the ocean is. Oh uh, my god. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's that's that's kind of where my mindset is. I want something that makes cash, so I got cash coming in every single month, which my options do. They also have high liquidity, which means my cash still stays cash. It's not actually invested in anything. Um, and then something that even if it loses money, I can still make money on, even if I have to make less. But all those things said, um, it's just all about figuring out how to just sustain, uh, sustain wealth. So as you get more wealth and as you have more money, you have to make smarter and smarter decisions. Champagne problems, my friend. <laughs> champagne problems, you know. Oh, this champagne's not good enough. All right. I know you got to get going. Uh, so I got a lightning round here for you. Okay. Um, uh, let's go. I got a little, little quick lightning round. I know we're both, uh, you know, I know you got to get going, probably make your hundred meals and listen to your David Goggins while you go to sleep. But, um, <laughs> uh, like okay. What's, uh, what, what are your favorite movies? Favorite movies, Shawshank Redemption, because you got absolutely incredible story about someone overcoming remarkable odds and battling it out like a Jesus Christ type figure in that yeah. book absolutely amazing really you think that's a jesus christ-like figure andy dufresne ad after domini uh after death resurrection it's if you read the book uh rita hayworth's the shawshank redemption by uh, stephen king the whole thing is a jesus christ metaphor really yeah so you have i never even picked up on that that's fascinating which is is absolutely uh i'm not i'm not Christian. I'm more agnostic, but I, I was raised Christian, but that's, that's definitely, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, Goodwill hunting, Robin Williams, another great one about someone. Austin guys, you're talking yeah. to one of them right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. um, if we're just watching the Patriots games, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Captain, uh, Captain America. Uh, my, it's definitely all that, that stuff. I love the adventure stuff just cause you, that character love is, Captain America. You definitely seem like a Captain America kind and, of guy. And, uh, su- Superman. I like to, uh, Batman, I kind of struggle with, but, um, I just like those guys cause they're, they're got unlimited power, but they're incorruptible. So mm. they're just beautiful, beautiful characters. Um, obviously you, uh, you're not a team, uh, not a team Iron Man guy, huh? Um, towards the end, I like him more towards the end, but definitely, it, it, I don't really like him before kind of that, that last little bit, but he definitely, I definitely, I, I can definitely see respect. you as a Captain America I got, guy. I got a lot of respect for him, but I like Captain America more. Oh yeah. Captain America is the man. I think Captain America is like, I, 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 I the Marvel stuff sometimes I, I didn't know. I'll never understand the people that their whole life is Marvel, but I, I do remember seeing, uh, captain america at, i don't know nine ten years old and being like that this guy's sick like he's just like yeah. blowing up stuff and killing punching nazis and he's the man yeah he, he's definitely i've tried to model a lot after him obviously <laughs> modeling after superheroes never gonna end like perfectly but he's a he's a cool guy and i'll, I'll leave it at that but what's your okay. next question? um favorite albums or songs um i'm not gonna say albums because i don't know music well enough to name those admittedly and i don't listen to music a ton Okay. I love Eminem as an artist, not Classic. all his stuff, but I love a lot of like Lose Yourself. I love 
I just love how he tells stories so well. And it's really, if you listen to his lyrics, his he is fan- a fantastic storyteller. Um, I like Imagine Dragons a lot. Very, once again, thoughtful lyrics, thoughtful composition, thoughtful stories being told, thoughtful message. Um, Alexia a lot, same thing. I love um, Johnny Cash and a lot of the, and Willie Nelson, a lot of the, the country guys, not the new, new country guys, but the older country guys, because they told, like, if you listen to the song Hurt by Johnny Cash, which is in like the Wolverine Logan movie is like you li- you can listen to these lyrics and there's so much depth or Highwayman or just all those great songs. Whereas like today you have mumble rap where you can't even understand. <laughs> and half of what the guy's saying sounds like an acid trip um, or just as it has no meaning or just has no good values in it. So I like anything that has really solid values. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely gonna, gonna adore in terms of music. Okay. Uh, what is a free time? What is an off day Saturday look like for you? Um, you're not going to, I know you don't, you're not drinking, but you're hanging out with your friends. What do you, what, what are the boys doing when you, uh, when you want to have some fun? I am not a super, super social guy. Admittedly. I have a very committed relationship with my girlfriend. We've lived together now for almost a year. She's actually, she's having dinner right now. Um, but she's like my, my girlfriend, Maya is, is amazing. So spend a lot Shout of time. Out Maya. So we're definitely, we're definitely doing something. So I might be doing a little business, like meeting people or doing work, uh, depending, uh, but we might be fishing, hiking, definitely going to hit a workout in there in the morning, uh, but just having a great day with her and then doing some business too is typically how that goes. But I typically work as harder, harder on the weekends, especially if she's in school then because she's not done with college yet then and even during college i work as harder harder on the weekend studying working doing everything than i do during the week so that's my mentality is a little harder on the weekends and during the week because i got more free time absolutely what's a date night look like for you marshall date night um <laughs> are you guys doing like push-ups with each other and shit like what's a date night look like here? no but we, we have done a few date nights like where we have done exercising or running which is awesome See, but that's good because like a, a nice hike with a like with a, a female friend or a girlfriend like that's a great time like in you know to, get to hang out like, you see the sunset you run bayshore and in, in tampa with the sunset like beautiful like you can't beat it no and i'm very lucky to have maya but uh we've also had dates so like i'll i i love i love good food so i'll spend a lot of money on good food uh but sometimes we'll we'll cook we'll find something really special we want to cook and then we'll challenge ourselves to cook that ourselves or we'll go to a restaurant like a really nice restaurant uh we've done meat mark i've been overall pretty disappointed in tampa but um meat market coming from california we had much uh central coast of california much better food um but meat market um done that one done sushi like we, we always try and have a very special time uh use the phone take put the phone away put that away um and just really focus on on my partner and really just focus on on that and then obviously come home and just just have the whole evening just focus on that person so that's that's my how a date night typically looks i i couldn't ask about myself how's montana treating you Montana is amazing. So I got, I got my whole family here, grandparents, uncle, aunt, mom, dad, and then everyone, everyone else. But um, it's a beautiful state. It is absolutely, the people here are so nice. Uh, People here, you know, not as educated. Um, Definitely some, definitely some redneck people, but by (laughs) by 
by and large, incredibly. Uh, Marshall incredible. West Coast elitist Bowen. <laughs> I don't know, but, and I don't mean that insultingly because there's people that are less formally educated than I am, but way smarter than I am, way more, way harder working people than I am and way better people than I am. So I mean that in no insulting way, but definitely, unfortunately, a lot of people that didn't even make it through, um, through high school or, or a lot of kids that are even struggling in the lower grades. And that's more what I mean is, is yeah, that, absolutely. that family can be a little, little difficult. We're on a native American reservation and that's a really, that's cool. really struggles. I'm, I'm right here on the lake right now. So my, my bedroom. Oh my God. Beautiful. 26 mile lake as far as you can see. And then mountains are like all across. So absolutely beautiful place, like unparalleled beauty. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a huge mix because you have the most poor native Americans and, um, and white people as imaginable, like very hardworking uh, people that are just very poor or people not working that are very poor. And you have very, you know, very, very ultra wealthy people on the lake. Like there's a house that I'm looking at now that's three miles away. That's got to be 20,000 square feet. And that you can just, it's so massive. You can see the windows and it's three miles away without like, it's that big. And wow. there's a CEO of Nike has a 20, $30 million house in this lake. So there's our houses is by no means that, but you have a huge mix and it's, it's a great learning experience because you get to see how that interacts and what causes what, but very by and large, the, some of the nicest people, some of the, the one of the prettiest States um, weather can be challenging, but it's That's, um, dude, that sounds unreal. And for those at home who didn't see, uh, it looks like that. Uh, I just saw the lake and the mountains looked like that one Kanye album. All right. Last question for you. Okay. Um, what's next for you, dude, you, you, you know, graduated from college in two years, which I'm, we'll get into, we got to have a part two. I mean, there's so we much will. more to uncover. Um, but you know, you graduated college in two years, you got a job paying better than mine, at least and a lot of college kids, um, you know, more than beer money. Um, you're, you know, committed relationship. You, you're really, really on the right track. You're on probably more right track than people that are five, six years old than you. So, I mean, it's really incredible. And um, what's next? Well, I, Maya still has some schooling to do. She's still got her next two years. And then after that, two more years of, of grad school, at least. So one to two years grad school. So four years or so. Love to want to absolutely stay with her and want to go distance with her. If that works out, if it doesn't, well, you know, I'll, I'll have to reset. But I'd love to love to go distance with her. Um, and in the meantime, I want to do some crazy adventures. So I got some, I want to do some great white shark diving as a trip that I'm, I'm planning to, oh, to do sweet. next summer, like in Mexico is, is something on the itinerary, but I want to have some incredible life experiences. It's definitely what's next. I want to push myself. Ultimately, I want to build crazy wealth. I want to hit that billion dollar mark, which as fast as inflation is going, maybe I'll, I'll hit that. And it won't, it won't mean anything, but I'll, I'll readjust that. But um, eventually long, long term hit that mark, maybe right as I'm in my sunset years, because that's a long term thing. Uh, I want to, I want to run businesses, own businesses, um, this is a whole can of worms, but I want to get involved in the genetic modification industry because I just love that. Um, 
I'll have to give more reasoning for that later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, out of context. Like, I'm not sure like how, asking, how great that sounds. It's just like asking for problems, but yeah. uh, there are reasons for that. I see that as a huge tool to help people medically and with food shortages and everything else. Um, Marshall's but, like, yeah, like I really am into genetic <laughs> modification and uh, Nationalist Socialist Party and uh, blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of those, uh, we'll, we'll say genetic modification, uh, blonde hair and blue eyes don't do very well in the sun. So I'd say that's kind of a disadvantage. Oh, okay. Um, I'd say maybe somewhere in the middle between the spectrum, but that that's totally unrelated. Um, but yeah, more just as a tool to help humanity and advance, like especially with, with ecosystems, get ecosystems back under control because you have so many creatures that can no longer handle the pollution levels we've put out yeah where if you could give them the ability to handle what we fucked up like trout can only handle water temperatures to a certain extent if you can give them the ability to handle a little warmer water then they'll be able to survive the next time we take away all their water they'll be able to survive a little bit more so i more say that as a way to fix the things yeah yeah you're thinking environment process of us fixing them just a faster fixing mechanism and obviously give people food that need food and medical. There's a ton of cool medical ways that that can be implemented, but I see that as Elon, Elon Marshall, Elon Marshall. (laughs) I've no, I I really respect that guy, but I I wish I had his level of intelligence and I'm definitely trying to, I I would love, love to meet him one day. Um, So there's that. I'd love to get into politics eventually, or at least make a, a big change and help people make, I see this country as having a lot of challenges that need to be addressed. Um, the whole economy is set to collapse in the next 10, 20 years with our nation's debt, with um, Social Security, Medicare, with a lot of promises that can't be filled, with a lot of tensions between different groups of people. And I would love to, I'd love to take the helm and maybe I can't do anything about it. Maybe I can't turn the ship at all, but I'd love to see if I could even get it one one centimeter closer to to get on the right course and i'd love to try and be the the kind of politician that has enough personal wealth that's not doing it for money but just doing it because they're tired of seeing things go wrong absolutely well you could i could see you definitely uh rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic uh if you will if you know what i'm saying yeah, hopefully hopefully this time we got a few more lifeboats yeah exactly all right well dude Thank you so much for coming on. This has been one of the best interviews I've ever done. Uh, not a shocker from someone who is such a professional, such a charismatic, awesome dude. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you, Jack. Awesome. Awesome to, to work with you too on this. And all right, definitely going to be a part two coming out soon. And if you guys, uh, if you guys want to, uh, check me out at all or see my store kind of follow it you're welcome to check me at um do it it's a great follow one of my favorites really m-a-r-s-h-a-l-l-b-o-e-n um and then that's on instagram and that's where you're gonna gonna find me so marshall bowen and uh six pack with jack definitely follow marshall bowen before you follow my ass but um, thank you guys all for listening, and I'll see you guys later. Peace. Some days I just want to up and call it quits. I feel like I'm surrounded by a wall of bricks. Every time I go to get up, I just fall in pits. My life's like one great big ball of shit. If I could just put it all in all I spit. Instead of always trying to swallow it. Instead of staring at this wall and shit. While I sit right as block, sick of all this shit. Can't call it shit. All I know is I'm about to hit the wall. If I have to see another one of mom's alcoholic.
dick I'm like a skillet bubbling until it filters up I'm about to kill it, I can feel it building up Blood is building up, I've been sealed enough My cup runneth over, I done filled it up